It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh here as always with Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now by Sarah Kenzior. She is the co-host of the podcast Gaslit Nation. And you know her from her book, Hiding in Plain Sight, The Invention of Donald Trump and the Erosion of America, which is now available in paperback. And uh, unfortunately, it is more scarily relevant than ever. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So- this is the first time that we have spoken since uh, the Biden administration came to pass. Um, are you, you know, you were one of the biggest Cassandras of the Trump administration. You were one of the first voices warning us about Russia. You were one of the first voices warning us about white nationalist violence. Um, are you sleeping any easier these days? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, we're still, you know, in the midst of the <laughs> pandemic. And as they say in the book and just in general, Trump wasn't a fluke. He was the culmination of a lot of systemic problems coming to a head uh, combined with autocratic practices within the GOP and transnational crime and corruption. And so while it's great that Trump is gone, uh, those problems haven't gone away. Um, And one of the things I'm worried about is that there hasn't been a rigorous effort thus far to really tackle the, um, you know, criminality of that administration um, and many of the systemic problems behind it. You know, the Biden administration has been great on some things like the vaccine rollout and so forth, but they've shied away from this. And I I think that's dangerous. Do you do you get the sense, though, that maybe there there is something happening though because it was it seemed odd last week that you know with other information being released they they were like hey guys we just wanted to sort of like low-key confirm collusion you know in this not really big enough it just came out with other information but they were like yep totally totally collusion we we figured it out um Mueller didn't even put that in his report <laughs> um but we actually got that link that that shows the polling data went back to the Kremlin and that um Konstantin Kalimnik was working for Russian intelligence and that was the big sort of question I suppose we had been asking since the Mueller report or a lot of people had been asking since our Mueller report did did that signal to you that they are doing something on this issue or was that sort of a random announcement I thought it was pretty random, um, especially because that's in my book. Like that piece of information is in my book, which came out before the Mueller report (laughs) was written because it's, it's like common knowledge about Konstantin Kalimnik. Like there's clips of me on a panel on MSNBC in 2018 discussing this information. And so when it was presented as new, I was just like, (laughs) you know, like what is this? Like this is deja news. Why do we keep going in these uh, circles again? Like we know what happened. We know who did it. We know who the main guys are. You know, the people who were involved in illicit activity in the 2016 election are often the same people involved in the attack on the Capitol. It's people Mm -hmm. like Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn. Like you can go look at Trump's pardon list. It's like, that's who you need. They need to be targeting. Those have been the right. power brokers the whole time. And instead, they've just 
either, you know, brought out things we already knew, like the Kalimnik situation, or they're targeting these, like, low-level QAnon guys, you know, people who got all heated up on Twitter and, you know, ran out to the Capitol. It's like, that's not the money behind the operation. That's not the power behind the operation. And I don't understand why Biden doesn't get rid of Christopher Wray. I mean, yesterday the FBI said they couldn't find any evidence from online media that, um, you know, people had planned the Capitol attack in advance. Like, they literally tweeted out and put on Facebook, everything they were doing to the point that my podcast on January 6th announced a January 6th violence at the Capitol special. Like it was so obvious and everybody knew <laughs> and they made t-shirts and it, I mean, it's like FBI, like what do you need? Like this is, it, that to me is bad. So, you know, one of the main things Biden um, should be doing, I think is getting rid of Christopher Ray, who's linked to the Federalist Society and all these dirty actors and starting fresh and putting somebody in who is really committed to justice and accountability. Is the reason he doesn't do that because yeah, what, what's your... that, that is the, what led to the special counsel's we, investigation we... and the Trump administration firing the director of the FBI? I, I don't know why he's not doing this. It's obviously in our country's interest to have somebody at the FBI who's not either Event, you know, working with the Russian mafia, which was true of Louis Free and uh, William Sessions, or uh, protecting them, which was true of Mueller when he was there, and of Comey, and seemingly of Christopher Wray. Like, this is a serious issue. The FBI is a corrupt, you know, investigatory body, and when you're trying to track down uh, transnational organized crime, you can't have that level of either corruption or just complacency and, you know, a willingness to put up with corruption because it's linked to wealthy white male Republicans, which is, you know, a big factor, I think, in what's going on. Um, I thought that he would get rid of Ray quickly. I thought he'd get rid of uh, Louis DeJoy quickly, and I, I was surprised that he did not. What, what do you think is happening with the FBI right now? Why, why do you think they're taking this posture um, and saying that they can't find evidence that there was pre-planning? Like, what when we all see it, like, why, why are they gaslighting us? What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the FBI is a deeply corrupt investi uh, investigatory body, as I said, and I think it's been this way for decades and steadily gotten worse. You know, under Trump, he purged a lot of the FBI agents who were experts on the Russian mafia, who were experts on white-collar crime, because those are the people most likely to catch him and his friends. And so I think that, you know, they've gotten even worse over time. And, you know, unless they really clean house internally, unless they actually, uh, you know, investigate and were merited prosecute complicit actors, then I don't think we're going to have, um, you know, any remedy to this problem. You know, we need to know why is it that we have two heads of the FBI from the 90s going on to literally work as consultants for the Russian mafia, for Semyon Mogilevich, after their tenure ended. Like, why would they choose that after warning the country about, uh, you know, Russian organized crime being a profound threat to democracy? You know, this happens over and over. And to me, you know, it looks like it's a compromised institution. That doesn't mean everybody in it is compromised. You know, I'm sure there are people simply trying to do their jobs, but as a body, you know, it's broken. Well, that's a sobering thought. <laughs> fun, fun, sure fun. is. Well, so what, we do have Sarah on, so that's usually how it goes. No, no, but like, where do we begin? So it's the Christopher Ray getting rid of Christopher Ray. I imagine that's going to have to be done in very 
specific um in a specific way so it does you know so the you know i guess the republicans would cry um impeach him if he did it because um of what happened with donald trump um even though the circumstances could not be more different but in all in as an alternative to doing that or maybe that being maybe the preliminary step what is the next step i mean corruption. how how do you root out corruption in, in an organization like the FBI that's massive? I'm not sure, honestly, because I feel like they wield yeah. too much power and they've had too much influence on American life. Um, you know, and this goes back to the founding of it. This goes back to J. Edgar Hoover. I mean, what I would like to see while the FBI is uh, seemingly unable to find people's, you know, Facebook posts and other, uh, you know, apparently <laughs> very difficult tasks for them, there should be other investigatory bodies being formed by Congress, being formed by the DOJ, uh, you know, Merrick Garland should be much more assertive. And, you know, the main things I want looked at beyond, um, you know, what was left of the Mueller probe, which was never, you know, a full and complete probe, are the Capitol attack and the Trump administration's handling of COVID, uh, the profiteering, the, you know, withholding of medical equipment, um, you know, the desire to let half a million Americans die. Um, You know, these are major, major tragedies for this country. Like, we've been through a lot, and you can't just shrug it off and walk away. And I know that they're dealing with a lot of things, just trying to get the pandemic under control. But the thing is, if if the Republicans come back in, if they take the House in 2022, which I think is likely, um, you know, we will be back in this same situation as with Trump. And if we have another kind of catastrophe, you know, a pandemic or a climate change catastrophe or what have you, they're going to behave in the same way, which is with total disregard for human life. So the Biden administration just needs to use this narrow window to get as much, you know, protective policies for the American people passed as quickly as possible and to, you know, start really enforcing accountability both on external threats but also on you know complicit actors within our own institutions i wanted to ask you because i'm like i don't know where to begin this feels so vast like a massive undertaking yeah no i'll figure it out over the weekend yes i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah, come back, come back with a bulleted list, uh, a little step by step flowchart. Actually, would be quite helpful. Once we, once we do this, then we do this. See, now you're giving me homework. Yeah, I mean, I'll it's totally just saving it. democracy. I'll totally do it, though. <laughs> I love lists. Okay, so you you did something on Gaslit Nation that I um I, I have not heard before. Um, I don't think we talk nearly enough about the 1918 pandemic. That that we've we've been saying this all year. The fact that we've been through this and we don't teach it and we don't learn from it. And now we're living through it again. And we're like, wait, what did they do back then? We don't know. You actually connected the end of that pandemic to, uh, what did you say? Rising fascism and the consolidation of dictator personality cults. And that I found deeply chilling because when I think of the end of the 1918 pandemic, I think roaring twenties and comfortable clothing for women. You're obviously (laughs) thinking in a different direction. So can, can you help me out here? Um, what about the this this end of pandemic time should we be concerned about? Well, I think right now in the U.S. you're already seeing one of the parallels that happened. You know, 1919 was the red summer in America. It was a time of white mob violence. It was a time of, you know, extreme attacks on black communities. 
And then it was followed by, you know, extreme xenophobia and the passing of a lot of anti-immigration laws. And so this kind of political culture really thrived in the 1920s. And, you know, yeah, there was all sorts of fun stuff going on, too. You know, there was flappers and parties and people relieved to be outside. But there is a darkness to this time. Um, you know, then when the economic crash came, I think that's when you really started to see these, you know, xenophobic and racist movements uh, in the U.S. starting to emulate those that had been growing uh, overseas in Germany and Italy and so on at the same time. Um, you also see some parallels with media. You know, that was a time of media transformation where radio um, and other mass media technology was newly invented and was being used by dictators uh, or proto-dictators at that time like Mussolini to, you know, define themselves. We've already seen in the U.S. what Trump did with social media and what others are doing, uh, you know, with cable news, like Tucker Carlson, for example, is somebody I worry about, you know, kind of in this vein, who embodies all of these tendencies. And so, you know, I don't, I mean, it's hard to tell. I think a lot of things in America, honestly, they're going to boil down to voting rights. They're going to boil down to whether, you know, the will of the majority is actually be, is going to be able to be expressed through voting, and the Republicans are doing everything they can to make sure it's not, because, you know, I think that most people in this country do not want an autocratic government. I think people, you know, many learned their lesson through Trump. Like, it's not hypothetical anymore, um, but neither is the attack on voting rights. It's ongoing. And so that's another thing, you know, that I wish the Biden administration would be um, more aggressive, and especially the Democratic Senate would be more aggressive, is, you know, abolishing the filibuster and making sure that the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passes. Well, that feels like... Isn't it funny how that, that is always the answer? It is Abolish the, the filibuster and pass the John yep. Lewis voting right. Like, yep. no matter what issue we're talking <laughs> about, whether it's guns or fascism, the answer is abolish the filibuster and pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I mean, it's true. You know, you can't get these things done. They have, you know, a lot of good policy ideas, a lot of things that will help us in the long run. It's just a matter of, of pushing them through. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't think Schumer, at the least, has done a very good job of kind of holding the Democrats together and, and making this a priority. I mean, I think that that's, that's such a critical point. I mean, I think that whatever, I don't know, rule book, wisdom conventional or otherwise that people were using to sort of determine their political calculations in this moment i'm gonna need them to reevaluate because we're not i mean i think this segment is evidence that we are not in an like normal times we're in an emergency i mean not just because of the pandemic but because of all of these other issues we've been talking about um and i thought i don't know i think i was naive and maybe thinking like we dodged the sort of authoritarian bullet, um, or at least we, we didn't end the democracy in the last election, right? I was like, okay, it's still right. kind of intact. It's tattered a bit, but it's intact. Um, and, and, but that requires sort of work and effort to maintain that and to keep it intact because it's not as if the forces that were trying to dismantle it are like, okay, we didn't win, so we're going to give up now. Like, obviously, the, they, they, they stormed the capital. In, in a whole insurrection, armed insurrection that happened. So, you know, I think sometimes we, we do have to sort of step back and say, okay, at the base, at, at sort of the foundation of this thing, what matters? And it, it's always voting. 
Yeah, and it, it was a huge deal that Americans managed to get Biden and a Democratic majority in Congress into office when there were all of these obstacles in play. You know, when you literally had the Postal Service being destroyed during a yep. pandemic, so people couldn't vote by mail, you had, you know, rampant disenfranchisement, you had the pandemic itself. I mean, people worked exceptionally hard. Um, and then the thing is, though, is the GOP are working just as hard to take away democratic rights and to reverse this situation. I don't think that they expected this. I, I think they were, you know, surprised. And I think that Trump thought that he would be able to stay in through the courts. And, you know, the insurrection uh, was the last gasp. And I think he thought he would win that as well. And now they're regrouping. Um, and, you know, I think some of it is everyone is understandably exhausted. You know, like I'm exhausted. I don't know anyone who's not. And so the energy yeah. that kind of went into 2020 in the election it's it's hard to keep that up, yeah. but at least um, our leaders need to keep up the constant vigilance. They need to be aware of time. They need to not think of Biden as a four-year president, but as a two-year president in terms of the power that you can wield with a Democratic majority, and then they need to act on that. Can I ask, how, how much do you think about Trump these days? Like, is he still a force that you're concerned about or has he become irrelevant in the face of like what, you know, the, the what he has unleashed? I mean, it was already there beforehand, but you know what I'm saying? How much do you think about him these days? Eh, I mean, I don't think and I really haven't thought that he was going to return in 2024. I always thought they'd pick a younger Slicker successor, um, what Trump is doing now is basically the same thing he did in the early 90s after his bankruptcies, where he was really, you know, in the crosshairs, where they could have taken him down at that time for all of his criminal ties, all of his financial crimes. There are a number of people like him, you know, Ivan Volsky, Michael Milken, et cetera, who were taken down, and he just skated because he knows when to lie low. And so I think that's what he's doing. I expect him to reemerge more as a force, uh, you know, closer to House elections. Um, you know, it depends on, on what he wants to do. You know, I think he loved the power of the presidency. He loved abusing it. He loved, uh, you know, the constant media attention. And I don't know how long he's going to be able to control himself, uh, you know, to stay quiet. I think his handlers are, are keeping him quiet. But I'm more worried about, you know, Trumpism, about this being just, you know, he was the bulldozer. And now, you know, these these horrible people and trends are coming in and they've been streamlined and normalized. And, you know, I, I'm worried more about that happening with a younger, stronger, you know, slicker individual. That's a good point. I, I, I think I fear that, too, because I see I mean, obviously, there's a, a very receptive audience to that rhetoric. And if you have it in, a, you know, a just a quote-unquote prettier package um it can go a long way i mean mm -hmm. I, I don't i don't think i don't know that we we have that figure right now like i don't know that i see that person right now like because it's not josh hawley because he has no charisma it's not tom cotton he has no, no charisma. it's definitely not um, josh hawley so, i will tell right, you so, that as a missouri <laughs> i'm just you know so so I, i've been looking around i'm like who can do it and you know it's it you it, it is you know in a way like finding somebody who has these unicorn qualities of charisma blatant racism you know who can who can speak to that particular core of that 74 million um people but we i don't know that i've seen that figure yet i don't think it's marjorie taylor green she's a woman like i, I you know i i feel like that won't work with this base um but but you know you can't be a strong man <laughs> 
Yeah, like I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What? Who do you think it is? Like I think it's under Tucker the radar. Carlson and I, oh. I think you know. It's That's what I was going to say. And I hate to say that because you know that would be abhorrent. Like that would be a disaster. But I think that that's why Fox is continuing to have him on, even though his show is a big money loser. You know, advertisers rightfully have pulled their ads from that show because it's so incredibly, you know, racist and cruel and xenophobic and full of lies. It's just like Trump was. Um, And I think that that's what he wants. And I think they may, you know, do sort of a Trump-Pence thing and pair him up with somebody with more bureaucratic prowess. Maybe that's when Holly would come in, although I honestly can't imagine Holly getting anyone excited but then again Mike Pence didn't get anyone excited so yeah. who knows um but yeah I think it'll be someone more in that like reality tv mold you know rather than kind of like an older you know bureaucratic figure they're mm-hmm. going to pick some sort of flagrant liar firebrand and hope for Trump part two and I just hope that you know this is a uh a battle that that they can't win um I really think they are going to try to win much more through uh suppressing the vote than through the candidate that they choose Sarah Kenzior, that was terrifying. Oh, yeah, yeah um, no, I'm, I'm as, as always, um, the book is hiding time. in plain sight. <laughs> the invention yeah. of Donald Trump and the erosion of America, and it is uh, it is a must read for this moment. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.